0: The text this morning is from the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, beginning, the, the verses are 15 and 16. From Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. A number of years ago, um, when I was in seminary, a church erected a sign on their front yard that caused uh, no small stir. They started building this sign, a letter at a time, and each letter was about a three by five, three foot uh, wide and five foot high. And they put the first letter up, it was an R, and every week they would uh, add another letter to the sign. Second week it was U. And the third week it was S. And, and people started going by, I think it even got in the papers, to, to uh, see what the sign was going to, to uh, read. I think there was some uh, bookies in the uh, halls of uh, seminary taking bets on... <laughs> Uh, what the sign would read, uh, make a little extra spending money for our seminary. And that thing uh, just really caught the imagination of the whole city of Fort Worth. And when the sign was finished, it was, Are you sure you are a Christian? How does it make you feel when somebody asks you that? Does it make you feel a little bit uncomfortable that... um, When somebody comes to you and says and asks, are you sure you're a Christian? Have you really been saved? If you were to die tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Does that that kind of make you feel a little uncomfortable? A few years ago, uh, students of Moody Bible Institute were uh, dispatched out to O'Hare International Airport to uh, take a little religious poll among the people getting on and off the airplanes there. And they asked several questions. Among them was, an, was a question that had to do with assurance. And there, uh, it was, you know, kind of like this one, are you sure you're a Christian? Or if you were to die, would you go to heaven? I'm not sure what the question was re- literally, but it had to do with assurance. And they got an overwhelming response in the negative. And they got answers like this. I don't suppose anybody is really sure that if he were to die, he'd go to heaven. Or I don't know if I'm sure or not, I try to be. How many times have you answered the question like that? Well, I try to be, and I I hope I am, and I I think I am, I hope I am. And when you lay that up beside the, the statements of confidence and assurance that just ooze out of the pores of the parchment of the Scripture, statements made by New Testament writers like this, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I am convinced that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor death nor angels nor principalities nor life nor death, etc. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. There is no abandonment in the love of God. Are to turn over to that passage in 1 John that says, these things I have written in order that you might know that you have eternal life. Now why is it that these people of the New Testament had such assurance and confidence, and the prevailing mood and attitude of our time is, well, I want to be, I hope I am, but I'm not sure about it. I feel uncomfortable when I think about it. And if somebody asked me that question, I might even answer, I don't know if anybody can ever really be 100% sure or not. Well, it may be that some of us, some people, are approaching their faith legalistically. That is, they believe that, that salvation is dependent upon works. That is, the keeping of the law the obeying of certain rules and requirements and the doing of certain uh, requirements. And as long as salvation is by works, as long as a person is basing his salvation upon his keeping of the law and his doing certain requirements, that person will never have assurance. there will always be doubt. The New Testament never came to that kind of commitment. As a matter of fact, the New Testament declares that salvation is by grace through faith, and and by that alone, and that a person has a knowledge of God, through His knowledge of Jesus Christ, His Son, and that is a very personal thing. And if I can know God through knowing Jesus Christ, His Son, in a personal way, then I can say, I know whom I have believed and am convinced He's able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. And perhaps the New Testament writers had this confidence and assurance because of their knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Now when you become a Christian, when you repent of sin, and by faith you trust Jesus Christ is your Savior, in that instant the Holy Spirit comes to indwell your innermost being. And the Holy Spirit is the source of all experiential confidence and assurance. We know we have confidence, we have assurance through our knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Now that's what this text is about. The Apostle Paul is making two strong declarations of faith. He is saying we have confidence by the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and we have assurance by the ministry of the witness of that Holy Spirit in our life. I want you to look at these two with me. We have assurance experientially by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reception of the Holy Spirit comes instantaneously with salvation. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, in that moment, God imparts to you His blessed Holy Spirit, who indwells you and lives within you. Now, the Apostle Paul says, in Verse 15, that the Holy Spirit by nature is not a spirit of slavery, spirit of bondage in the King James, which brings a spirit of fear. Now what he means by that is this. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, it is not his nature to come to just make you aware of this awful body of laws that you are to keep and requirements that you are to do. He's not by nature doing that. He is not by nature a spirit of slavery who comes to to, uh, demand certain requirements of you and reminds you of the law you're supposed to keep and the requirements you're supposed to do and perform. If that were the case, he would bring a spirit of fear and that would be all we would have. Here is a slave and he cringes in fear before his master because he's afraid he's going to break one of the laws or he's not going to do one of the requirements and he knows that's going to bring the whip of the master down upon his back. Now Paul said, the spirit, blessed Holy Spirit is by nature not like that. Rather he said, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of adoption. Now that word in the, is translated in English, adoption, is, it, it, it involves two Greek words that, means that, that, that say to place as sons. And the Apostle Paul has in mind that Roman um, practice where a father, a natural father would adopt a son to an adopting father. And they would go through this process, legal process, where he would literally sell his son three times. And that son would pass from the realm of the natural father to the realm of the adopting father from the old life to the new life. The old life was dead and the new life began. And it was a legalistic thing. It was a positional thing from the father natural father to the adopting father with all the rights and the privileges uh, and authority and dignity of that, of that adoption. And this adopted son would become an inheritor. I have a son, as you know. If I went through this Roman adoption process and adopted another son, the adopting son would inherit equally with my natural son. They both would get $5 apiece when I die. My whole, uh, in, my whole inheritance. Uh, he becomes an inheritor that has all of the rights of the natural son. Now the Bible says that we by nature are sinners and choice. By, by choice we're sinners. By nature we're children of wrath. And by choice, we're children of disobedience. But God, rich in His mercy, has chosen us and adopted us and has given us all the rights and authority and dignity of the Father that has adopted us. And we inherit what the Son, the natural Son, inherits. And He has only one natural Son, as it were, His only begotten. And we become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who affects that adoption and makes that adoption real to us. He's the one who makes us aware in our innermost being that this awesome God of the universe is indeed our Father. What a magnificent thing. Now, there are many uh, mountain tops in the Bible. I mean, illustrate what I'm trying to get across with two of them. One of them takes place in the Old Testament and it's the giving of the law. The other mountain peak takes place in the New Testament and it's the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now when the law was given at Sinai, how did the people react? They reacted in fear and terror. It was awesome. They were despairing. They were frightened because the coming of the law made them aware of their own own poverty, their own impotence, their own lack of preparation, their their, their inability. And this coming of the law encountered them at the point of their fear. Always that's what happens. When the law comes, the law brings a spirit of fear. But when Pentecost took place and the Holy Spirit came to indwell the church and and the believer and remain permanently in the world, He came with a mighty sound of, of mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire. But the church, the people, did not react in terror. The Scripture says they poured out into the streets and their faces were radiant and they were bold. These cowards became courageous and they began to preach with confidence because the coming of the Holy Spirit by nature brings assurance and confidence and boldness. And they were so exultant in their joy that the people who saw them thought they were drunk. So by the presence of the Holy Spirit we have assurance and by the witness, the ministry of His witness. For verse 16 says that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. And verse 16 confronts us with two spirits. When He talks about the Spirit Himself, He's talking about the blessed Holy Spirit of God. When He talks about our spirit, He's talking about the human spirit. And the human spirit is the capacity of man to know God. Now, for the want of illustration and understanding and clarity, we might could say, this illustration breaks down, of course, but we might could say that God created us, gave us a physical body, and with this physical body, we relate to the physical world. He made us soulish, that is, He gave us a mind so that we relate rationally and intellectually. But he gave man, he made man a spirit. And the spirit is the capacity of man to know God. Now through sin, man's spirit is dead. When the scripture talks about you being dead in trespasses and sin, you pinch yourself and say, well, I'm alive. He's not talking about the physical aspect, the physical part of man. It's talking about the spirit is dead. The capacity to know God dies when you become a sinner. So that it is foolish for a natural man to think he can relate to God without Jesus Christ, without it being his Savior because his capacity to know God is dead. But when a person is saved, when he becomes a Christian, he's born again. All the terms you've heard before and some you haven't maybe. However, I can put that before you. When you become born again, the spirit is raised. The human spirit is resurrected. It's made new, made alive. It's quickened. And in that moment, there begins to be two voices in your innermost being saying the same thing. You are a child of God. Now, the Holy Spirit does not bear witness to our spirit. it bears, He bears witness with our spirit. And there is this inward... Um, conviction and confirmation in my spirit that I'm a child of God and the Holy Spirit bears witness with that. And the scripture says where there are two witnesses, the thing is verified. Now, in this bearing witness with our spirit, be sure and don't make this mistake. Don't think that, you know, some voice comes, you know, and says, hey, you're a child of God, quit worrying about it. It doesn't, doesn't happen like that. There is this, uh, as, as, as Calvin calls it, there is this calm, unobtrusive, inward conviction that joins the Holy Spirit's witness and joint testimony that we're the children of God. Now, in this text, there are two words that are translated sons or children. Verse 15, the word is translated son. Let's see, let me look at it and say, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. That word is a, is a Greek word that gives emphasis to the, to, the, to the position, to the legal aspect of it, as I mentioned. He said that, that in your salvation, Legally and positionally, you are a son of God, and it makes reference to that right to the rights and privileges and authority and dignity that that comes to the believer. But verse 16, he uses a word that's translated in English, children, and that word gives emphasis to, to birth. One gives emphasis to the legal part. The other gives emphasis to the birth part. So that in salvation, there is both um, adoption and regeneration. There is both the legal placing as son positionally and all the rights and privileges. And there is also fellowship and communion. It's not just something legal, it's personal so that in this marvelous work of regeneration, we are positionally placed as a son of God, and heir, joint heir with Jesus Christ, but we also are born into his family and we have fellowship and communion with God. It's like what I saw one day when I passed the nursery. There was this little kid standing there. Must have been a year or two. Here, come par- here came the parents, you know and he was just kind of checking them all out, you know, as they went by. Didn't see anybody he recognized. Now, recognized them, but didn't mean much to him. Then his daddy walked up there, and he just immediately just kind of stepped forward, and there was this look on his face, and he held out his hands. He knew his father. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, he makes us, he gives us communion and fellowship with the Father, we know Him. Now, how does this happen? How does He do that? Well, He does it by um, by clarifying the Holy Scriptures to us and making them personal. Have this, has this ever happened to you? You've just been reading the Bible, you know, and maybe you're just really getting into the Bible, and you come across a verse of Scripture that you've read many times before, but somehow God in the Holy Spirit takes that Scripture that day and just imparts just what you need, imparts knowledge just to your heart, and in the impartation of that knowledge down deep inside, you think to yourself, oh, God has spoken to me today. Sometimes it takes place in worship. I told you about when I really gave my heart to the Lord. I was a senior in high school. I I was worried about, you know, could I really be a Christian? Could I really be used of God and all that I'd been involved in? And I was praying about that and asking God to give me some kind of help to know. And the very next Sunday morning as a high school kid, I hadn't heard much in church before, I was sitting there. And this preacher got up and gave an illustration, just what I needed. It was the very answer I was looking for. And there in that moment, just chill bumps went up and down my spine. And I just said to myself, in my innermost being, I just said to myself, Oh, I'm a child of God. He's given me a word. Sometimes it's in prayer. You're just praying and there just comes that gentle assurance of God in your heart. Sometimes it's in the painful experiences of discipline as God disciplines you for doing wrong and you want to cry out, oh Lord, I'm sorry for that. And that's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit, communing with God in the part of regeneration and birth. Now, let me make an application here, and i got 20 minutes to make this application. It should take five. But I do know I have 15 minutes to play with, so we'll see how it goes. Let me give you this application. Hear this? Assurance is not essential for salvation. Now, there may be some folks that disagree with that. I want you to get that. Assurance is not essential for salvation. I have a feeling that there are going to be a lot of people in heaven who walk this earth and never really feel assured that they're saved. A lady came to me one time and said, I need you to baptize me again. I was saved this week. I said, well, wonderful. And she went to tell me, she said, I've been baptized five times. I said, well, I'm not going to baptize you anymore. I'm sorry, I just can't do that. I'm afraid, I'm, I know that lady. I know her personality. I know that when I get to heaven, she's going to be there. Although all through life, she's doubted her salvation. Now, if assurance is essential to salvation, that means that we're adding to, the, 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 to the, uh, what is necessary to be saved. Now, if I understand the New Testament, what is necessary for salvation is repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. And if you add assurance you're saying, the way you get saved is you repent of your sin and you trust Jesus Christ and you feel confident about it. It's not based on feeling. Now, now sometimes I'm guilty of saying to folks, you know, after they've been saved, I'll say to them, well, how do you feel about it? As though that's the essential thing. It is not. Now I believe this with all my heart that God wants us to walk through this life assured and confident and it is possible to do that. These men did but I am also convinced that it is not essential to salvation. You can have some doubt and be just as saved as anybody else. Now the question is why is it I've trusted Christ, and I've done what I believe the Bible has said to be saved, and I'm not confident. I don't have assurance. Why? Let me suggest several reasons, perhaps, why. Maybe getting right down where the water rolls right now. It may be because of ignorance. Some people don't even know that you can't have assurance. I mean, they don't know the scriptures that talk about it. It may be your ignorance of the scriptures. Maybe you just need to get into the Bible and begin to look at those verses of scripture that talk about assurance. Or secondly, it may be because you feel like a failure in your life, period. I know some folks like that. That's what's wrong with this lady up in you, Texas, been baptized five times. She just felt like a failure all the time. And when you feel like a failure, you feel unworthy of God's love. I mean, period. I heard this story about a guy named old Uncle Jake. I saw Jake Hopkins. I said, I'm going to use the story about Uncle Jake, but I'm not talking about you. Old Uncle Jake, he, he, he was just, everybody worked on him, tried to get him saved. And he was just one of those guys that never would be saved. Just kind of a town reprobate. And, and so finally, one of his relatives came to him one day. He said, Uncle Jake, he said, it ought to soften your heart to know, to know that that God loves you, doesn't that soften your heart? Jake said, you mean tell me that God loves me and he never knowed me? And a relative said, Jake, it's a whole lot easier for the Lord to love you not having knowed you <laughs> uh, than, uh, than to love you and, and, and knowed you like I knowed you. Well, that relative was wrong for the one who knows you best loves you most and accepts you just like you are. And you can quit heaping coals of fire on your own head and feeling unworthy and a failure because God loves you just like you are. And it may be that some of us don't feel assurance because we're quenching the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. To quench the Holy Spirit means to, to, to suppress Him or to stifle Him. It's a picture of throwing a, a, a cloth down over a fire and smothering it out. Resistance is the idea involved. To grieve the Holy Spirit as the Bible talks about it is is to have unconfessed sin in our life that breaks His heart. Now it just may be that the reason why you are not feeling assurance of your salvation, if that's the case for you, is because you're resisting the Holy Spirit in some area of your life. There's an area of disobedience that God keeps putting His finger on. You keep saying no to. Or it may be that you have sin in your life that grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, the people who are walking through this life who have confidence and assurance are the people who are living under the control of the Holy Spirit. And they're walking by the Spirit and they're living in the Spirit. Now, you might need to check your own relationship. It may be that God has said to you from time to time, this is what I want from you. And you say, not so, Lord, not me. If there is any not-sows, he's not Lord. If he's Lord, there are no not-sows. And it may be that you have this sin in your life that God just keeps bringing back and you just keep rejecting, giving up, and you'll never have assurance perhaps until you get all of that straightened out. But I wanna go back to the original proposition that what God wants from us is that we walk through this life boldly and with confidence and assurance for a doubting, fearful, unsecure, unconfident Christian is a bad witness, is a bad advertisement to the grace and power of God. Now, I shared with a guy this, the other day, Friday, this illustration, I think He's think best, one of the best I've ever heard, it kind of nails this down. John Claypool tells about this guy, out in a little town in Kentucky who, who was an expert whittler. I mean, he was, well, he's a whittler. He, just, he could just carve anything he wanted. And they'd sit around this little country store, around this pot-bellied stove, and this guy would whittle. And he'd whittle, make something, you know, and just be gorgeous. And, and, and the guys around said, hey, you need to sell those. You're great. And he'd kind of shrug his shoulder. Oh, nobody would buy these things. He'd just throw them in a the belly stove and they'd burn up. He'd get him another piece of wood. He'd whittle again. He'd whittle something just beautiful out of it. He'd look at that thing and say, man, that is gorgeous. I've never seen anything like it. You ought to sell those. He said, nobody would buy these things. Nobody would. This is no good. He'd just toss it in a belly stove. Now, I know what you're thinking. You think in the zip, the zinger of that illustration is that one day they discovered he's a great whittler and he makes a million dollars. That's not the zinger. The zinger is that God is not like that. Here was a, a man who was unaware of the value of his creation. God is not like that. He knows the value of his creation. I mean, you're so valuable to Him, He invested His own Son in you. Here was a Creator who was careless about His creation. I tell you, God is not like that. What He hath begun in you, the Scripture says, He will continue to perform until the day of Jesus. Now, the question is twofold Have you really been saved? Now, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. Has there ever been a point of time in your life really where you repented of sin? That is, you repented of the self-life where you were in control, calling all the shots, making all the decisions, where you repented of the life where you were in control and you had rejected God's way, God's Son, and you repented of that? and you placed your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, if there has never been that point of time, that time that today is the day you need to do that, right now in this place, right where you are, right this moment, I want you to confess your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, if you say, well, I know that I have made that decision, but I have these doubts, then let's get everything out here in our own minds that might be hindering assurance and get that straightened out. Maybe God is saying to you, I want this out of your life, and you've said no, or you have this sin in your life that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has come and it is His nature, it is His nature to make us aware that we're sons of God, And it is His nature, it is His witness, to join with our spirit, human spirit, in telling and saying, you're a child of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this truth that has been disclosed. I thank You for the musturion, the mystery, the disclosure, revelation of God's Word. And now, Father, we know that the responsibility to the Word we've heard is ours, and that we will be judged not just for what we have not done, but for what we have heard and failed to do with what we've heard. Bless us this moment, Father. I pray that the lost will be saved and the Christians will find confirmation in their heart because I ask in Jesus' name. Now, I have three invitations this morning. The first is for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ as I've tried to explain. If Thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. The second invitation is for you to come as Christians and make, get right with God get right in relationship with the Holy Spirit or to come and join the church. Now, if the Lord has laid on your heart to join the church and you've not done that, then you are resisting the Holy Spirit. Would you make your decision this morning, publicly expressed, publicly manifested here We're going to ask you to do that right now while we stand and while we sing you come.